Hi, I'm James Kotecki. You're listening to the C-Space Studio Podcast. Interviews with technology, media, and marketing leaders from CES 2020. Hi, I am James Kotecki. You are here with me in the C-Space studio at CES 2020. And here with us, Nicole Pangas, back again. CEO this time. This time you're the CEO of Ampersand. I know it's the same company. Last time I talked to you, it was a different company. Correct. So first question, of course, uh, why the rebrand and how is that going? Yeah, so uh, when I met you last year, I was the, the, the newly appointed CEO of NCC Media, mm-hmm. um, which uh, we changed the name. NCC stood for National Cable Communications. Um, the company was founded in the 80s um, and at the time only represented the inventory of cable operators. And so the name at that time made a lot of sense. Um, over the years, however, we have come to represent the major satellite companies, um, like Dish and Direct, um, you know the telco companies, AT and T, and so the name didn't hold true anymore. We sell on OTT providers. We sell across a lot of media. Basically, any TV media is what we sell against. So you're helping all these entities sell their advertising. Correct, inventory. and so that was the DNA of the company. And so when I got there, you know the name just didn't feel right. Um, and it really wasn't right for a long time, frankly. So we took the, the steps over the years since I saw you last to yep. rebrand the company at Advertising Week New York this past September. So advertise, uh, sorry, uh, rebranding is a huge endeavor for any company, right? There's yes. a lot of moving pieces to that. Yes. What was the biggest surprise to you that came out of the rebranding process? Um, so I would say that there's two, there's two big insights that came out of it that uh, honestly I wasn't expecting. Um, one is that it's amazing how much a name can change the personality of an organization. I mean, just the new logo and the new name, I think, just created an energy in our organization and with our clients that I felt, but I was so in the middle of it. Of yeah. course, I felt it was like birthing a child. No offense to my children. Um, so that was surprising how quickly that happens. You know, within within hours, people were you know practically cart- cartwheeling down the hallway with excitement about the logo and the name and the colors wow. and the everything. Um, so that that was surprising. And then the second thing I would say is that that really is just just like having a child. You know, like once the child is there, you have to nurture it and take care of it and you know, make it grow. And that is what we're doing now, you know, with the brand. Because it's not just about a name, clearly. You know, we made some yep. major announcements in conjunction with the name around data and other initiatives, capabilities that we launched. And so really it's about um, taking those to market and having the marketplace understand the name in conjunction with sort of the new capabilities of the company. And just like a child, I imagine sometimes things happen that you didn't necessarily expect or the child has a mind of its own or people are out there in the world interacting with that thing in ways that you maybe didn't even anticipate um, for, for, for good and bad, right? Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and I think, you know, the history of our company is one of our greatest strengths, um, but it's challenging as well, right? Because the history of our company is very much rooted in local linear advertising in the United States. And we were, you know... We became a multi-billion dollar company doing that very, very successfully. You know, the most successful kind of local media company in television in the United States. Uh, But we have so much more than that. And so a lot of this sort of next process with these new capabilities is educating the marketplace that we both do local, you know, local and linear, but also national and also digital and also addressable and all of the 
the, these other capabilities that we've brought to market. And really, that's the next big push for us in 2020. Well, that's a great transition to my next question, uh, very professionally done. Um, you, last year, you said addressable advertising. I'm going to read your quote from last year's interview. You said, addressable advertising is at the bottom of the first inning, and it's a game that's going to go into extra innings. Yeah. So addressable advertising, of course, for everybody, uh, is just the ability to target ads for the people that are watching it using data. Correct. And so if we were at the first inning last year, how's the game going this year? And, and maybe more importantly, who's winning? <laughs> <laughs> well, the game has certainly progressed. Um, I would say we're, you know, second inning going into the top of the third sort of thing. And the reason that I say that specifically is because, you know, that the analogy I use then is because the capabilities of true addressable advertising and television um, had come to fruition when we spoke last year. Um, and what the last year has brought is scale of that inventory. So we have more inventory in 2020 to sell against than we did in 2019. Um, and, uh, and also, when I met you last, we had just pulled together the data across all of the household footprint that we have across our owners. So it's 38 million households of television data. So it's the most substantial data set in television in the United States. We had just literally created a beta when I spoke to you last year. Now we're actually in prime time. That is the tool set that our entire sales team, which is several hundred people, is using in the marketplace. So we've progressed the conversation. What we haven't done yet, and where I think the rubber really meets the road in television, is that we haven't put our television tools in the hands of the buyers yet. And that's, I think, in any industry, when you actually give tools to the folks who are making decisions, is when we're going to go into sort of you know high speed and the, the game is going to start going. The buyers being much, the marketers, much, the advertisers. The marketers and the advertising agencies. It'll move, move much more quickly when we do that. So what are you anticipating are some of the things they're going to be able to do with that tool and with that data that they're maybe not able to do today? Well, we're arming them with a different type you know, different data and different insights than they ever have gotten in television. What we're doing is we're giving them census-level data in television. Television has uh, traded, you know, been bought and sold on a very small panel across a very broad base of consumers, right? And what television has now is what digital has always had. And, you know, how I was in digital for most of my career, we sold against television because we said, we have better data. We have better ways of targeting the audiences that you want to reach, you know, planning against them, targeting them, and then reporting against them in a census-level way. Television could never say that. And as a result, incremental advertising dollars went into digital instead of television. Now we can actually do that in television. So what we're bringing to buyers is census-level, you know, nearly 38 million households is a substantial amount of the TV market, or the U.S. market, mm-hmm. not all of it, but enough to, you know... More, yeah. much more substantial than a panel. And when you say census, you mean you have data on each one of those individual 38 million people household, that you're aggregating yes, as opposed to just people. kind of a, a general statistical... Correct, correct. And so snapshot. we're able to bring the type of planning capabilities that have existed in digital and television. And so once we arm the buyers directly with those tools, I just think we're, you know, we're full steam ahead in every, in every way possible. So we're talking all about addressable advertising. What about streaming? How does that fit into how you think about the marketplace uh, someone might say, well, everything's eventually just going to be subscription streaming and there's not going to be any advertising. Although, of course, there are streaming services with advertising, so <laughs> you can immediately counteract that. Yeah. But just generally, how does streaming fit into the way you see the world? Yeah, so streaming is going to be an increasingly important piece of the puzzle. There's no question about it. Um, I don't think the pendulum is going to swing. You know, everybody's like, oh, you know, linear TV is going to die and it's going to be all streaming. That's going to take a very, very long, 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 long time, like if ever, you know. 
Um, and so things don't happen as quickly as, as you know, people say. However, it's definitely a growing piece of the puzzle and an important one, so it's not one we're ignoring. I think that there's going to be, A, fewer streaming services. Over time, mm-hmm. there will be consolidation. Like any new marketplace, there's a lot of them, and then there are fewer of them. That's not a bad thing. And I also think streaming will be... Um, you know, two two different options very often. I think there's going to be ad-supported streaming, and you get either, a, you know, no cost or much lower cost for streaming, and then a higher cost if you want no advertising, and that's okay. Um, but the fact of the matter is, advertising, the reason it's worked is it's supported high-quality content, which costs money to produce, right? And so there's value to that. So people are either going to pay more and not see ads, or I think more households will end up paying less or nothing in exchange for um, receiving ads. You know, that's, that's... And advertising that's more relevant to them anyway. Correct. That's right. Does... If linear TV doesn't go away, do people change their expectations of linear TV because they're also living in a world where they also have streaming as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's changing already, right? I mean, I, I'm both in advertising, but I'm also a consumer and I'm also a mother of two girls who are on YouTube and, you know, now Disney Plus, like, incessantly, <laughs> probably too much. Um, no offense to Disney, but, um, you know... It's Don't take it as a it's, compliment. It's, no, no, no. <laughs> I just mean too much, yeah. but I was watching it with them all, all holiday break. Um, it's, it's going to change and the new generation definitely has different ways of, of viewing. Um, but again, all of these things that we're talking about are pieces of a puzzle And so the reason that we work across all different inventory sources is, in our opinion, when you're talking about working with a brand, we want to express those dollars as consistently as possible across all of the inventory and create as much as possible, it can't be perfect, a consistent user experience is across linear television, OTT, addressable television, frequency cap as much as we can across all of those things. Again, it's difficult because there are walled gardens and television and all that sort of stuff, but we can definitely be very thoughtful about how we engage with consumers, even through different, you know, you know, traditional versus OTT type of environments. No question about it. Do you have frequency data just as a rule of thumb? How many times do I see an ad before I get sick of it and it stops being effective? We do. We do a lot of that, actually. And a lot of what we do and sort of our, I call it our magic pixie dust is because we have so much um, scale, right? We serve across 120 cable networks, 85 million households in the United States. Um, we are able, and we have linear, and we have digital and addressable. The combination of all those things at the scale that we have it, we have the most scale on television across all of the cable operators in the United so States. So you're using data from 38 million, but you're scaling it to a much broader Correct. Group of and what we can yeah. say is hey, you're working with the national networks. Here is the amount of folks that you're reaching because we have all that data yeah. because of the set top box data. We have all that. And we could say if you <clears throat> invest an incremental X dollars, this is what your reach curve will look like. So what we think is going to happen, because we're working with brands to do it now, is that all of these pieces of the puzzle that we look at in such black and white are actually going to be components of a media buy. And the data that we have allows us to partner with brands and agencies to show how to best spend the next incremental dollar in television, right? Because they will continue to spend on national ad networks, and they should. They will continue to spend with us on local linear, and they should. They will continue to spend on OTT, but how, what, how do you put together that formula for a brand to make sure that 
they wisely choose where to put the dollar in each of those buckets. Well, as you continue to work on that and figure it out, uh, we'll keep talking. I really appreciate you being back here in the C-Space studio with us. Thank you for having us. Nicole Pangas, CEO of Ampersand. Yes, thank you. This podcast is in partnership with the iHeart Podcast Network.